0: This podcast is produced in association with our Amplified Podcast Network. We hope you enjoy. Hello, ladies, gentlemen, and everyone in between. Welcome to the fourth episode of A Theater Kid's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm your host, Luke Stevens, and today we'll be talking about the classic fairy tale and musical, Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella. Cinderella is a classic story that has been told countless times with many different renditions, being portrayed on the stage and screen throughout the years. It is the story of a young, innocent girl who lives with her wicked stepmother and sisters following her parents' tragic passing in her childhood. Near the beginning of the show, Cinderella hears of the prince throwing a ball and wants more than anything to go. However, her stepmother forbids it. After being turned down and feeling defeated by her stepmother, Cinderella meets her fairy godmother, who magically transformed her ragged clothes into a stunning ball gown. She turns her friends, tiny mice, into footmen and a pumpkin into a carriage. She is able to attend the ball, but she must leave before midnight. She goes to the ball and catches the eye of the otherwise uninterested prince, but when midnight strikes, she rushes out, leaving a glass slipper behind. The next day, as Cinderella ponders over the experience she had at the ball, The prince goes throughout the town and makes every maiden in the land try on the slipper looking for Cinderella. At the close of the show, the prince eventually finds her and they live happily ever after. Cinderella's opening night was on March 3rd, 2013, and the show grossed a total domestic of $1.4 million. Today, I'll be stepping out and recording for the RTC's 10 in 10 plays, so I'd like to introduce your guest hopes for this week, Chloe Fortune.
1: Hi, I'm Chloe, and I'm the producer of Theater Kids Guide to the Galaxy, and I'm so excited to be guest hosting this week's episode. And now, it is my absolute honor to introduce our cast, starting with Parker Mott. Parker.
2: Hi, I'm Parker, and my favorite Disney princess is Tiana. Next, we have Abby Camp.
3: Hi, I'm Abby Camp, and my favorite Disney princess is also Tiana. Natalia
4: Wilson. Hey, I'm Nataya, and my favorite Disney princess is Mulan. Anya Trimmer.
5: Hi, I'm Anya, and my favorite Disney princess, I have a tie between Tiana and Merida. Emma Fleck. Hey, I'm Emma Fleck, and my favorite Disney princess is Megara. And this week, we have our very
1: first guest appearance by Ellison Mader. Hi, I'm Ellison Mader, and my
6: favorite Disney princess is Rapunzel, but I also very, very much enjoy Beauty
1: and the Beast, but only the animated version. Wonderful. And behind the scenes, we have our wonderful tech crew, Ethan Talbot, Tim Little, Aaron Mott, and Katie Fleck. Now let's pass it over to Abby for the rating system. Here at
3: Theater Kids Guide, we use the planets and the one dwarf planet in our solar system as our rating system. We use the system to rate everything off of the planet's vibes, aesthetics, or whatever relations we see fit for the topic we're rating. And now
1: with the rating system out of the way, what would you rate, Cinderella Parker?
2: I would rate Cinderella in Earth, because unlike the other planets, Earth has a lot of different people, a lot of different places, a lot of landscapes. It's very diverse.
1: Abby, what did you think of Cinderella?
3: Um, I would say that Cinderella is Neptune, because first of all, it's blue, and Cinderella just has kind of that blue vibe with her,
1: and I don't know, it just kind of feels Neptune-y. Ellison, what would you rate Cinderella?
6: I would rate Cinderella Earth, just like Parker, because it it gives me that, like, blue-green vibe. And it's just, Earth is super popular, just like Cinderella.
4: And Natalia, how about you? I would rate Cinderella Mars, because normally when you think of planets, you think of Mars. It's kind of a trademark, something everyone knows.
1: Many of our listeners may not know this, but Robinson Middle School actually did Cinderella last year. So I want to know, what did each of our cast members do in Cinderella, what was your role?
2: In Cinderella, I was ensemble and Lionel's understudy.
1: In Cinderella,
3: I was ensemble. In Cinderella, I was a part of the stage management team.
1: In Cinderella, I played Cinderella. So as you can see, we have many different roles in Cinderella represented in our cast today. I wanna know what were your favorite songs to listen to or to perform?
3: I definitely think that The Prince is Giving a Ball is one of the main impactful songs. Um, I was listening to some interviews with different Cinderella productions, um, whether that be with the movie or different plays, and they all mentioned The Prince is Giving a Ball. I think that's just such a important part of the show, and I think it just really sets the whole mood for the show and how fantastical and whimsical it's going to be.
2: So I think my favorite song to perform was The Prince is Giving a Ball. Uh, as an ensemble member, you got to run around the stage and do it basically whatever you wanted with whoever you wanted. But my favorite song to listen to is probably In My Own Little Corner. And I don't know, it's just probably the favorite one of mine to listen to.
6: My favorite song to perform personally was In My Own Little Corner because there's so many like fun lines and dance moves and like you could look out in the audience and have like those personal connections but my favorite song to listen to uh, was definitely The Prince Is Giving a Ball because it is just so many different parts and like the ensemble and like the singing and everything was just so fun and so big and extravagant.
4: My favorite song performance-wise to dance to and sing was 10 minutes ago. It was just a lot of fun for no reason. And the song that I just love to listen to is Step Sisters Lament. I mean, it's just so much fun.
1: I am definitely partial to In My Own Little Corner to listen to. I think that the wording and the lyrics are so beautiful and it's such a simple song, but it's simple in such a beautiful way. And it just speaks to me like nothing else in Cinderella really does. What do you guys think were the most impactful songs in the show? What really stuck with you? I
3: would bring back in my own little corner for that. I think that it's just such a, you can feel what she's saying. Like you can personally feel it, everything that she says and everything that she sings about. It's like, you know, her story completely. And um, (laughs) when I was looking this stuff up in the movie version, of the Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella, when she was doing this song, uh, when she was like taking it, she was crying so much that they couldn't understand what she was saying. But she was saying that she just like got into the role that much through that song because she could just feel exactly what Cinderella was feeling in that moment. And I think that's really cool.
1: I really like what you said about In My Little Corner. Would you say that you think that song is a... Whimsical and more dream song or more of a somber and sad song, because I think it has elements of both. What are you guys' opinions on that?
6: it's it feels very like light. I don't know like if this makes sense, but like bouncy. it just seems like, super fun and like super interactive. but it's also like has an aspect of like sadness, and like she doesn't have any of these things, and she really, really wants it.
2: I would say songs can be more than one thing at once, but for the Broadway version, I would see it more as sad.
3: One of the things that uh, we had in our production was we had some of the little siblings of our cast members come on and just be the little kids. And, and it was just so, it was so beautiful to watch. I was the babysitter of them for the most part. And it, it was just so, so nice to watch them because they were just in awe of her at all times.
1: Aside from My Own Little Corner, are there any other songs that speak to you or do we generally agree that that one is the one that is the most impactful in the show?
6: For me, I'm stuck between two songs. It's either possible or there's music in you um, because possible um, or it's possible was this big moment. Like she comes out in the dress and it's like, oh, oh, my God, there she is. Um, but like also there's music in me. It's like. It's just this big ensemble piece where everyone's happy. Everything went like well, and it was just awesome. So like, I'm really debating which one I think is most impactful, but I'm gonna say there's music in you because it was like, it was really speaking to the audience and it was the last few seconds of it. And like, it just went dark. And it was like, (sighs) you know, it was like great feeling.
2: I would say I watch Cinderella for more of an entertainment standpoint. I don't see it as super emotional. Uh, In my own little corner, I, I like it as whimsical. But in general, I don't feel too much, like, deeply emotionally with the songs. But I still love them for entertainment purposes.
1: I think Cinderella is really special because on the surface, it is a fairly seemingly shallow musical. It's girl meets guy, guy meets girl, they fall in love, and they happily ever after. But... When you look deeper, it's really got a lot of meaning and a lot of inner themes, which is one of the reasons I love it. One of my favorite things about it is watching it every time you notice different things and you notice in different productions as well, what each one focuses in on as far as themes. One of the things that I've talked about before
3: with uh, some of my friends or some people that are also working on Cinderella is, do you think Cinderella is kind of girl is sad and has a bad life and then she finds a man and he makes it better? Or do you think there's some other meaning to it or some better theme to Cinderella's story?
6: I think there's like definitely like a moral of the story that's like way deeper. Um, That like, no matter how bad your life is, no matter like how bad, even just your mental health is, I think things will get better. And like good people get good things. And if you deserve it, you'll get it. And I think there's, like, that big aspect in Cinderella. Like, I don't think there's, like, it's all about getting the guy. I think, honestly, I think she's a feminist. Like, and I think there's, like, that aspect of feminism in the show. She doesn't need that guy. She, she, that's not, like, her big thing. She just wants her life to get better. And she wants things to be better for herself. And, like, you know, the boy just, you know, just comes along with it. It just, it comes with the package of being happy.
1: I love that idea of the fact that the boy just comes with the package. I think that if you look closer, Cinderella doesn't go searching after her prince. He kind of comes to her. She leaves the ball three times. She pretty much ditches him three times and then he's in love with her and wants to come find her. So it's a little bit of a reversed fairy tale in a way as she is not pining for him as much as he's pining for her.
3: I disagree that it's not about that at all because I think that, at the end of the day, he is what made her able to have a good life because he gave her you know, money and love outside of the family that she had that wasn't treating her well. However, I do think that that's not the only thing that like she wanted. That's not the only thing that she needed. And I think it's interesting to notice that she kind of got all that she wanted throughout the show. For example she wanted to leave the house and her fairy godmother got her to the party you know what i mean so it's like she she wanted to find people she wanted to go out there and not be around her family that was mean to her
1: so was it truly the guy that helped her out or was it more her fairy godmother that helped her out like kind of going off abby like the fairy godmother did all the work like
6: and the guy just you know but if if you watch the live action movie Um, After the ball, all she cared about is that she had that experience and that she had fun. She was okay that she thought that like this would never happen again and she wouldn't be with him or that she was stuck in this life. But she was okay with that because she had this experience and that's like a really good thing.
4: So thinking about what Everness said and like perceived so far, um, I actually am starting to think, well, It seems sarcastic in the way that she gets everything she wants and she lives happily ever after. And the man does not give her everything she wants. So there is definitely that feminism where, you know, the fairy godmother gives her what she wants. But it's also it doesn't seem realistic. There is no such thing as a fairy godmother or at least not to my knowledge. So maybe there's a different moral to the story. I would like to bring up in respects to our comments on
1: feminism in relation to the fairy godmother and Cinderella, I'd like to point out that women's equality and having equal rights in regards to feminism is neither fairy tale nor myth. In reality, feminism is a very real topic and can't truly be equated to fairy godmother magic in regards to the musical Cinderella or real life. Something I noticed is that
6: It was really mostly her it was her believing that this was actually possible and the fairy godmother just had the magic to do it but it was her that wished for it it was her that believed it and really desired for it that led her to go to the ball and i think that obviously the fairy godmother had a big part in it but if she didn't believe and if she didn't wish for it and if she was so down in the dumps that she didn't think this would happen and she wouldn't have gone and none of this would have happened. So I really think it was it was her
3: who like started it all and did it. Exactly. If you actually think about it, like this show, it wouldn't happen without the fairy godmother. But at the end of the day, like the prince isn't essential to the story. If you actually think about how she got where she did by the end of the story and what happened, it's really all premeditated by the fairy godmother.
1: Abby, you just mentioned that you don't feel that the prince is essential to the story. That brings up an interesting point of not really who's your favorite character, but who is the best character and who's the worst? I
3: think the best character is the fairy godmother, and I assume that's a popular opinion. You know, she just does all the work. She does all the hard stuff. She thinks through everything for Cinderella, so Cinderella just kind of has to go about her life and everything kind of falls into place for her. Um, yeah, I just think Fairy Godmother, she's, she's a real one. She just knows, she knows how to fix Cinderella's
4: life and she just does it super easily. Looking at this show from a perspective of if I was in that universe, I think that the king or queen would actually be the best character because they are well off. They can do whatever they want. And even though they're, they don't have a fairy godmother, or maybe they do, they still have all this power and they are on top of a monarchy.
1: But they've left Cinderella in the dumps pretty much. They're one of the reasons that she's there in addition to her stepmother. So are they really the best characters or are they in some ways
4: the worst characters as well? Looking at it from an audience perspective, they're not good characters at all as, you know, they don't support, you know, the kind and gentle main character or protagonist. They are against that for no reason, really. But their characters, the characters themselves, have the best life.
6: This might be controversial, but my personal favorite character was the stepmother. And when I'm watching a show, I usually think of my favorite character is usually the one who starts it all. It's like this kind of cause and effect type thing. So like my favorite character was definitely the stepmother because without the stepmother, none of this would have happened. Um, Cinderella would have been treated fine and she wouldn't have had all these dreams and she wouldn't have this perfect personality that she has that's like humble, kind, amazing and all this stuff. Like without the stepmother, she wouldn't have had all those characteristics. But also I just really love stepmother because she's so funny she's just such a fun character that i just love
2: so basically what ellison is saying not to be like rude uh is that the nicer you are the more abused you are
4: what no i think a better way to put that would be you have to go through those experiences to understand and to have those traits basically start from the bottom to get to the top
1: No one has mentioned the silent heroes of the show yet, which are the animals. In productions of Cinderella, which include them, they're very important to the story because without them, Cinderella wouldn't have gotten to the ball and she wouldn't have the connection and kindness towards living things that she has. I think we need to mention them.
6: I disagree with you. I think that the fairy godmother, she could have picked any animals in the forest to do it. It wasn't those specific animals that really affected the show. She would have still felt the same and more, she would have felt more lonely without the animals. But so like, I don't think they really affected the show.
3: I think that the animals and the pumpkin should have believed in themselves and they should have stayed magical past midnight because honestly, they're the worst characters. They're so rude to Cinderella. They they just left her there, you know, without any magic. I mean, maybe if they really tried, they could have still been magical, but no. They just had to ruin her night.
1: But that's not the animal's fault. That brings it back to the fairy godmother. If we're saying the fairy fairy godmother is the one who controls these animals, then isn't it her fault? Shouldn't she get the blame on that and not the cute little animals that are just trying to be friends with Cinderella and help her? I mean
3: yeah like that's the smart thing to think but at the same time you can't help but be mad because like the pumpkin you know you could have stayed a pretty carriage wouldn't you want to stay a pretty carriage and at the same time like fairy godmother was doing it for Cinderella's own good so I guess I should stop being mad but you know what I mean.
1: I think that It comes down to the personal connections we feel to all the characters as to which one is our favorite and which ones are not our favorite in every production that is different, which brings me to the point of what about the movie remakes of Cinderella? How do you feel that they compare to the Rodgers and Hammerstein's versions? What are the differences and what are the similarities? I think
3: as a whole, the movie remakes of Cinderella do not live up to the show. I think that they, you know, they're classic princess stories, but there's something different about the Broadway Cinderella Rogers and Hammerstein's show. I think it just has so much more substance and it just makes you feel everything. Like there's no in my own little corner kind of song. that just makes you feel like I want that for you too, Cinderella. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you don't really, you don't really get that. Yeah,
6: I definitely agree. Um, because like when you're watching the show, you um, you can like have a personal connection with the actors or like if you're an actor, you can have a personal connection with the audience and it's like a one-time thing. But like, if you're just watching the movie, it's like, you're not in that world. You're not, you're just watching it from like the outside and it's not like, it doesn't give you that same feeling, but like seeing a show it's like, Oh, it's so amazing. Cause, like, definitely with like the personal connections with like the, the songs, obviously in my own little corner, or there's music in you, there's those connections with the audience, like, relate to this. And I can relate to you and like all this stuff. And so, definitely, the, sh- the, the play um, is a lot better. I personally love seeing the plays rather than the movies because there's that experience
1: that's with it. I always, in general, enjoy. Saying shows better than I do, the re- movie remakes, I think that you get more personal connection from a live show than you do from any type of movie. I will say, however, that of the movie remakes of Disney fairy tales and gen- in general live action remakes, I feel like Cinderella has one of the best and has some good movie remakes throughout the years.
3: Fun fact about the Rodgers and Hammerstein version um, in the movie is that the lead, Cinderella, who was 17 at the time of auditions, she didn't get the part (laughs) at the beginning. But the director of the movie actually talked to Mr. Roger um, from Rogers and Hammerstein. And he was like, you need to give her another chance because he had seen her on a Broadway show and he really liked her. And so, yeah, then they had a one-on-one audition and she got the part after that.
6: I think we can all agree that seeing the show is much better than seeing the movie remake because there's so many connections and like there's so many different ways that you can make a show different types of characters and different types of shows you can do with just that one show instead of just like with a movie there's only really one way to make it but like with a show there's so many different aspects that you can add and different ways and characters and things like that there's so many
1: different things you can do with it That was a wonderful discussion. If you have anything to add to our discussion, please reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter. We'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions. And now it is time to move into our next segment, which is debate. Today's debate will be between Abby and Anya. They will have pre-assigned sides to argue for or against and do not yet know what those sides are. Once the topic is introduced, you will each have one minute to write an opening statement for your argument. Abby will read her opening arguments then Anya will read hers and rebuttal claims made in Abby's. After a few rounds of back and forth, Abby and Anya will be stopped and given one minute to write their closing statements and final arguments. With the rules out of the way, Abby and Anya, are you ready to get started? Yes, I am. I am so ready. Okay. Today's topic is, drum roll please. Should students... Be paid to go to school. Abby will be debating for yes, and Anya will be debating for no. I will now give you one minute to write opening statements. One minute, starting now. One minute, 37 seconds later. That's time. Abby, are you ready to give your opening statement? Yes.
3: The point of school in general is to prepare you for life. However, there's nothing in life that one, only benefits you, two, you are legally
1: forced to do, and three, you don't get paid for. Anya, are you ready to give
5: your opening statement and opening rebuttals? No, students should not be paid to go to school because it takes away money from teachers and other workers in the building. It's not actually a full eight-hour workday, and we can't really decide on how we'll pay them. Okay here's here's the thing there the money doesn't have to come
3: out of the teacher's pay it could be you know like tax taxpayer dollars I think you're saying we should tax the people more is that what you're saying more tax- um i mean I, i'm not gonna get political here but i think that it's you know it's maybe something to think about students it is two an eight hour day if you think about it, it's like seven and a half hours to eight hours and also, like, what work can you think of that like you just legally have to do, yet you don't get paid for it? Like, that just doesn't make sense. And it's not like it's like, um, like going to court. Like, it doesn't, it only benefits you.
5: You're the only one learning, you know what I mean? But then how do we decide how to pay them? Do you... Do you pay them based on the grades they get? Do you pay them based on the hours they attend school? Because then that's not really a fair thing, because one kid could get 50 bucks for getting an A on their test, then some other kid gets 100 bucks for attending school for a full week, then some other kid gets $5 because he got a C in algebra. How do you decide on how to pay them? No, 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 it's a, it's a basic wage that everyone gets.
3: A week of school means this much money. However, it doesn't have to be that much. I just think that we should get compensated in some way because, I mean, there's some times where I'm telling my dad about the work that I'm doing in school and he's like, wow, I didn't even have to do that much in, in my work. And he works in an office building. So like, I don't know. It just, to me, it makes
5: sense. Okay, so our dads are very different. I can tell right now. Because my dad yells about how much the school is soft and does not give the kids the learning and education that they need, so that just gives you a hint of the kind of environment that I was raised in. But I feel like if we pay kids to go to school, then does that come out of the teachers' wages or the health or like the work is in the building? Because teachers are already one of the most underpaid people in society. That job gets no appreciation in funds, or from people around them. So if we Pay the kids to go to school, are we paying them out of the teachers' wages and out of the people in the cafeteria or the janitors? Or are we taking money from the families who are already really giving their kids money for fundraisers, school dances, things to attend at school, like the plays? Like, how do you just how do you get more money from that? I completely agree with you with the whole like teacher
3: thing that they don't get enough money. Totally agree. Because if it weren't for teachers, like we wouldn't have smart people. However, at the same time, the money does not have to come from their wages. You know what I mean? Like maybe like everyone in general gets taxed a couple dollars more. You know what I mean? A couple dollars. A couple dollars isn't much. And then, you know, a, a kid going to school gets a couple, couple cents a week. A couple cents a week for going to school it's it's not like a big deal but it just shows you that your work is worth something because if we're showing people that they can work super hard and
5: get nothing for it during school what are they gonna think during work when you're actually in work you can do a lot of hard projects and a lot of good things and you won't get any appreciation so we're preparing them for that something that you do go unnoticed completely I mean not in all jobs. I feel like most jobs you get paid for the work
3: you do. I just feel like you know, there's it's it's something that's mandatory and it's not like it's volunteer work. Like you know what I mean, volunteer work, you don't get paid because you're like, I will do this work to help other people. And I appreciate that. But also, school is just for yourself. You're just learning for yourself. But like you're not you're not just volunteering cuz if you don't go to school, you go to jail or juvie or what i don't know but <laughs> something happens and you know i think you should get paid for for
5: going to school so do you think each kid should get paid the same like 10 dollars for a day kind of like a minimum wage worker do you think that's how that should work
3: i mean 10 dollars a day is, is a lot but i would say maybe like you know
5: if we can five oh, dollars less than minimum wage okay let me just write that down real quick <laughs> for this job specifically
3: because <laughs> school is mandatory and you know th- that okay here's my point school is mandatory but you still have to work a bunch so therefore you should get compensated in some way but because it's mandatory you probably don't need that much money for it because you know you you're just doing what you're supposed to do you know what I mean but at the same time people do a lot of work in school you know you spend your whole time just doing assignments that your boss aka teacher gives you it it makes sense as like a work environment you know there there was something like work hard like if you're working hard
5: then you should get you should get paid for it in some way so Say, I'm going to use two totally random names here. If there's a girl named Abby, and she is failing all of her classes, and then there's a girl named Anya, who is excelling in everything, are they going to get paid the same amount of money? I
3: see your point there.
5: Totally random names, not from, not, <laughs> not from any experiences or anything.
3: I see your point there. Um, But... At the same time, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe if you're failing, you don't get as much
5: money because you're obviously not trying as hard. So then that, how does that help kids with learning disabilities like dyslexia? How does that well, you help? Don't get, you don't fail all your classes just because you have I'm dyslexia. I'm saying they're failing all their classes. I'm saying that they have a harder, they have a harder time. Kids who have dyslexia, kids who can't remember things as well as other kids do, they can't memorize, they can't study as well. It takes a lot of extra time. Then how do those kids, is it fair for them to get less money because maybe they're having a harder struggle? No, that doesn't, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying personally, maybe
3: they pay more by the grade. Like the older you are, the more money you get because obviously you're doing harder learning. You know what I mean? Like when you're in kindergarten... And you're learning shapes. Are you going to get the same amount of money as like a junior learning calculus? I don't know. I'm not saying exactly what the specific amounts of money are. I just think in some way children should be compensated for the stuff that they're doing. Because they're doing a lot and we're just kids.
5: So there are kids in kindergarten learning about shapes that you think should be paid to learn about shades. Am I, am I saying that right? Is that See, correct?
3: that's where the less money when you're younger comes in, because coloring isn't as strenuous as, you know, like I said, calculus. And it, it makes sense to me. It makes sense that when you're doing work, you deserve payment for it. As a minor, it's very hard to get a job. It's hard to get a job period, but like as a minor specifically, because nobody wants someone that doesn't have past experience. And even though, you know, you got to start somewhere, people are always like, well, we don't want you to start here. So it, it makes sense. And you need some past money to, you know, get yourself started. You need some past money. Maybe you're going to college and you want some money for tuition, that kind of thing. Like you can't, you can't find money. Many other places. I, for one, don't get allowance. I I know some people do, but like I don't. So I think that it's interesting to think about that point where you know children. Where else are they going to get money? How maybe they don't have much money at home. Like having school pay them. That's very helpful. I
5: didn't. Ha- I don't have an allowance. Allowance, and I never had an allowance. But I think there are some kids who do get money for. Doing chores, and a lot of those kids tend to be younger than high schoolers or middle schoolers. A lot of those kids tend to be in like fourth or third grade because you're trying to train them. So then, so then, how does that also translate? Because there, are, I get that there are some kids who do need financial experience, but then there are those kids who already have that financial experience. Oh, if I do this and I work hard, I'll get money. Is it fair that they get it from? What do kids need money for? Maybe they're savers.
3: I, for one, save my money and I'm saving for college or for a car or, you know, for a house eventually, like it makes sense to start when you're young. Maybe you put it into a savings account. I don't know. The point is, is that even though kids might not need money where they are, eventually you're going to need money, like when you're 18 or something like that. And if you're just starting to get money, then when you need it, then. You know, it makes sense to have money when you're a
1: kid. And with that, we will conclude the free debate section of our debate. Anya and Abby, you will now have one minute to come up with closing statements. One minute, starting now.
0: A few minutes later.
1: And that's time. It is now time for
5: closing statements. No, students should not be paid to go to school, because in reality, we don't know how it will affect the children, the families, the other workers in the school building, or really any other factors that could make its way into that.
3: Yes, kids should be paid to go to school because even though kids may not need the money at the moment, it's a good time to start saving for when they do and they need to learn that they get paid and
1: must pay others for the work they do. To decide who won the debate, we need you, our listeners, to let us know who you thought came out on top in this debate. Go to our Instagram, at Theater kids Guide to the Galaxy or our Twitter, at TheaterKidsGTG to vote for the winner of this week's debate. We will announce the winner in our next episode. That was a really great debate. We are now going to move on to our next segment, which is RFT, also known as Rapid Fire Trivia. This week, our trivia players are Parker, Emma, and Ellison. I will be going through and asking each of them five trivia questions. They will get five seconds to answer, and for every question they get right, they gain a point. After Parker, Emma, and Ellison have gone, I will ask two final questions in the category of theater, which will be worth two points each. Tim will then count up the points and let us know who is the best trivia player in the galaxy. Please feel free to play along and let us know how you did on Instagram or Twitter. Now, let's get started. First up is Parker. Are you ready to get started? I am ready. Okay. First question. What is the rarest M&M color? Brown. Correct. In which European city would one find Orly Airport? London. Incorrect. Paris. Fissures, vents, and plugs are all associated with which geological feature? Rocks. Volcanoes. (laughs) I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings is an autobiography about the early years of what inspirational African-American writer and poet?
2: Harriet Tubman. No, what? I know Harriet Tubman's not a poet. Maya Angelou. What is the tallest breed of dog in the world? A Doberman.
1: Great Dane. And now it's Emma's turn. Emma, are you ready? No, but let's do this. Okay. What is the softest mineral in the world? Mercury. Talc. What is the world's biggest island? Australia. Greenland. Which two countries share the longest international border? Europe and Asia. Canada (laughs) and the USA. Europe and Asia are not countries. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Let's do this. (laughs) How many hearts does an octopus have? Three. Correct. Who was the first woman to win a Nobel Prize in 1903? Rosalind Franklin. Marie Curie. Oh. And finally, Ellison, are you ready? Um, sure. Okay. Water has a pH level of around what? Seven. Correct. Which horoscope sign has a crab? Cancer. Correct. Correct. What is the most common letter in the English alphabet? A. E. Cirque du Soleil started in what country? Italy. Canada. What is Japanese sake made from? Is that like a game? Silk. Rice. I will now ask two final bonus questions, which are worth two points each. If our players know the answer, then they will buzz in and answer. Question one. What musical is based on the songs of ABBA? Emma. Mamma Mia. Correct. Question two. What type of shop was a little shop of horrors? Ellison. A plant shop. Almost. Emma. Dentist. Totally incorrect. Parker. Herbology. Ellison got the closest. It was a florist shop. We'll give you one point for that. And with that, Tim, please read us the point totals so we know who the winner is. All right, well, in last place, uh, with one point, is Parker. And tied for first is Ellison and Emma, with three points each. And since we don't like ties very much here at Theatre Kid's Guide to the Galaxy, I have one more final tiebreaker question to decide it all. If you know the answer, please buzz in. What is the longest-running Broadway show? Emma. Manum
5: of the opera.
1: Correct. And with that, Emma is our winner. Oh, I was so scared. (laughs) That was so much fun. Thank you to each of today's players. But sadly, that is all the time we have for today. I had a wonderful time guest hosting, and I want to thank each and every one of our listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in, and make sure you come back next week for more of a theater kids guide to the galaxy. Please follow us on Instagram at Theater Kids Guide to the Galaxy and Twitter at TheatreKidsGTG for more content. And feel free to check out all of the other awesome podcasts on the R-Amplified Network. Also, check out Rambunctious Theater Companies 10 and 10. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you have an amazing day. Bye.